Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored, The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Well, would you turn with me tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're going to move on now this morning, or the last time together, we, we just sort of backed up and looked at that word, that little phrase, become foolish, in verse 18. But I want to pick up now where we had left off in verse 21 through 23. We're going to finish up actually chapter 3 today. I've been doing some calculating. We may get through the book in about five years. If we keep going at the rate we're going, something like that. I want to preach tonight on the phrase that's found in verse 21, all things belong to you. Now we know that we're dealing with a church there in Corinth that is man-centered. It's not God-centered. And babies who refuse to grow up. Now, that's not a term I picked up on. Sometimes you say, well, Wayne, you're just being smart calling them babies. No, no. That's what Paul called them in chapter 3 and verse 2. He said, you were babies. You were that a time in your life that you were just babes in Christ. But he said, you're still babes in Christ. That's not my terminology. That's Paul's terminology. I just sort of <laughs> elaborate on it a little bit with my pacifiers and stuff like that. But, you know, you think about it. The moment you don't walk by faith, you're still in the nursery. You walk right back into it. I mean, just carry a little sign around and say, I'm in the nursery, don't bother me. Or as we shared with you the last message, I'm fixing to spit a dummy. That's what the Australians and the South Africans call that little pacifier. And right before you want to have a fit, just spit it out and then have your, have, help yourself. Churches are filled with people that won't grow up. Well, if it's not crystal clear in your mind by now, following the context as closely as we can, that Paul is saying, not only don't attach yourself to man, but don't ever boast in man. If it has not been crystal clear to you by now, it should be in verse 21, because that's exactly what he says. He says, so then, connecting there, all that he said, he says in verse 21, so then, let no one boast in men. Now that word boasting has appeared several times in many of the studies we've done, also in Corinthians. And the word boast, kaome, is the word that most think comes from the word ofkin. You cannot prove that, but most people think it comes from the word neck. And you think of somebody boasting, you think I'm sticking that neck out, and I can just see those Corinthians walking around, I am of Paul. <laughs> and another one walks around and says, I am of Apollos. And another one says, I am of Cephas. You got that neck stuck out? And he says, let no man boast in men. The point of this is, and that boasting in men is it's in an absolute sense. Now, you've got to understand this. Sometimes you think it's wrong to boast about your children. I remember when Stephen went out for T-ball. Y'all remember T-ball? How many of you still have children that are T 
t-ball age. Any of you in here sitting out there? Yeah, isn't it fun? And Stephen didn't know a thing about baseball. And I took him out there and blessed his heart. When they called his name, he started crying. I'm thinking, this is going to be a long time growing this boy up. And that embarrassed him so bad, I had to take him home. Next day we go out, and he's out in the outfield. They don't know where to put him. I mean, he doesn't know where to go. So he's out in the outfield. And they hit a ball to him, and he misses it. It goes between his legs. I picked it up and pitched it back to him. When I pitched it back to him, he misses it. He hit him right in the forehead. Went boop. Cried again. I had to take him home again. <laughs> Finally, one day, he got a hit. But when he got a hit, didn't know what to do. And I, just, I was the only parent that did this. I jumped out of the stands and took off running toward first base. I said, follow me, Stephen. <laughs> when I got to first base, I said, stay right there. Stay right there. <laughs> had to walk him around. And some people think it's wrong to brag about your child when he hits a home run and t-ball. No, that's not what he's saying. I mean, come on. My son ever hits a home run and t-ball? You're going to hear about it. I'm going to write about it in the newspaper. That's not what he's saying. When he talks about don't boast in men, what he's saying is in the absolute sense. In other words, don't you have a mindset that trusts men, that believes in what men have to say? Don't live that way. You see, that's, that's his whole point that he's been bringing out. Don't look at the merits of man. Don't put any faith into the wisdom of man. Put your faith into God. Put your faith into his merit and his worth and his word. Now, a believer who won't attach themselves to Christ, which is like that little baby, has to attach himself to what he can see, touch, and feel. If he won't do that, he's the epitome of a person who boasts in man. And I don't know why we can't understand it. Another term for that would be humanism. We drag it right into our Christian walk. If we're not under the Word of God, then we're being affected and infected by the way man thinks and what man does. And churches all over this country are built on that premise. And so was Corinth. And that's what he's trying to say. Christ is the builder of the church. Attach yourself to him. He says, man, listen, I was your first pastor. Apollos was your second pastor. Cephas or Simon Peter, he's the unsung leader of all the Christians. But man, listen to me. Don't you ever hook yourself to us. Jesus is the one who builds the church. We just got back from South Africa and Australia. And I'll tell you folks, there are people coming from our country and it's embarrassing. They're going over to those countries and telling those poor people how to build a church. And they're using all kinds of secular principles of how to get numbers, etc., how to organize everything. And folks, I want to tell you, that may work to build a crowd, but you'll never build the church. Jesus said, I'll build my own church. That's why you never, ever, ever attach yourself to the ways of man. You attach yourself to the ways of God. Years ago, since we're dealing with the church of Corinth, and that is his main problem here, Earlier, he says back in chapter 12, I mean chapter 1, verse 12, he says, each one of you, every one of them are affected. A man said years ago about the church of Jesus Christ in America today, he said the Holy Spirit could leave and nobody would ever miss him because they don't need him to begin with. Miss Bertha Smith, who died at 100 years old, and if you ever knew anything about Miss Bertha Smith, I mean, she was a saint. Came out of the Shentung Revival in China. Miss Bertha Smith said how many pastors came to know Christ in her conferences she'd be doing over the country. And they would come to listen. And the teaching on sin and the teaching on the cross was so powerful that preachers came forward and actually got saved. You see, in America, for some reason or another, you don't have to be saved anymore. Just be able to be a good manager, be a good administrator, be a good personal type of person. And as long as you can stroke the people and keep them pacified, you can stay in your office. And Paul says, that is not what it's talking about here in the book of 1 Corinthians. That's not the way the church is built. You don't build a church to depend upon staff. You don't build a church to depend upon the preacher. You build a church, or let God build it, to, to depend upon Christ and to depend upon his word. 
That's why we do what we do here. And, and even when we make mistakes, we come back to this principle because we want to stay attached to him, not attached to anything of man. Well, it's a stern warning to the Corinthian church, and I think it's a stern warning to all of us. Let no man boast, no, no one boast in man. They'd already fallen into that trap. I pray we'll never fall into that trap. Well, the basis of him telling them this is found in, in the next several verses here. Now, it's kind of like you tell a guy, why do you want a cow when you have the farm? <laughs> I mean, why do you want to attach yourself to man when you can attach yourself to the creator of all mankind? I mean, hey, hey, folks, which one do you want? Paul's limited. You, you'll never find a man that has it all together. I don't care who he is. And that's why that's the fallacy of attaching yourself to men. But I want to tell you something. Jesus has it all together. You can attach yourself to him. <laughs> And you can have it all. This is the whole point of what he's saying. Look, look what he says. Verse 21. So then let no man, no one boast in men, for all things belong to you. Watch this. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you. And you belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. Now, two things I want you to see tonight, and I want you to think clearly now as to what Paul is trying to say. Why in the world would you run around attaching yourself to man's ways and to man and man's wisdom when you can live attached to Jesus Christ himself? We belong to him, and all things belong to us. The first thing we've got to look at is, is we must look at why we have all things. I mean, that's, that's kind of an interesting point why do we have all things? What makes that possible? I mean, all of a sudden, here's these people that are babies in the nursery attaching themselves to men. And Paul says, what are you doing that for? All things belong to you. And I guarantee you that was a revelation. Why is it that all things belong to us? Really, you really can't understand it from verse 21. You've got to jump to verse 23. In fact, the last phrase of verse 23. He says in verse 23, and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. That's the phrase. Christ belongs to to God. Now, the correct Greek there does not have the word, no verb, belongs to. And the Greek is, it says, and Christ, then the word God's. Now, not God's plural, G O D apostrophe S. God in the possessive. Now, it's interesting here that the definite article is not used there, which describes the Godhead. So the term belongs to God is implied, even though it's not in there. Christ, God's. He belongs to God, the Godhead. Christ is God. He belongs to the Godhead. He's not referring to rank. He's referring to possession. In other words, he is God. He's possessed by the Godhead. You take Christ out of the Godhead, you don't have a Godhead anymore. He is God, very God. It's one God in three persons. And so he belongs to the Godhead. It's who Christ is that makes all of this possible. Not who Paul is, not who Apollos is, not who Cephas is, but who Christ is. That's what makes the whole thing open up. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, what? Was God. The divine intelligence, the word for word there, that divine intelligence. And in verse 14 of chapter 1 of John, it says, And the Word became flesh. God's always, had, Christ has always been. He's always been the son of God. And he came into this earth. Now, when he came, his name was Jesus upon this earth. He says, you shall call his name Jesus because that, that's what God said. And if you ever relegate just the word Jesus to him, you have his earthly life here. 
But when you use the term Christ, that's the term he's always had, the anointed one. For he was the one before the foundations of the world that stood in the portals of heaven ready to come and die for our sins. And when Christ came into the world, they knew him as Jesus. But when he went to the cross and they crucified him and he resurrected the third day, you'll watch through the epistles, they turned that around. Instead of Jesus Christ, it's Christ Jesus. Pointing to who he is for all times to his eternal essence as being God. Now this is a very important fact. We would have nothing were it not for the fact that Christ belonged to God. He's a part of the Godhead. He is God. Now we can begin to understand why all things belong to us. It makes all the rest of verse 21 through 23 possible. Now the second thing we need to realize here in this verse, verse 23, not only does Christ belong to God, Christ, God's, apostrophe S, possessive, but also he says, you belong to Christ. And it's the same basic phrase there. It's just, it's just referring now to us. We belong to him as he belongs to the Father. Well, that's what salvation is all about. You see, the moment I receive the Lord Jesus Christ, His Spirit wooing me, His Spirit drawing me to Him, for no man comes to Jesus except the Father draw Him. And when I get under conviction and God reveals to me that I'm a sinner through His Word, which is that seed that must fall into human hearts, which contains the gospel, the good news of Christ. And when I bow down and in, in repentance and faith receive the Lord Jesus into my heart, then I become a believer. Now I belong to Him. Now, that's, he, he refers to that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you'll flip over there, he goes back and he shows them the message that he preached to them and what it was they believed, and he refers then to their salvation experience. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 1. I think this is critical sometimes just to slow down on and make sure we understand. What does it mean to be a believer? Well, this is what you must believe in verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, good news, which I preached to you, which also you received. He's talking to believers now that he had a great part in, in which you also stand. Now, look at verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. In other words, I'm just a mouthpiece. It came to me. I gave it to you. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Christ now, notice the term. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, since God is the possession, or Christ is the possession of God, he is God, therefore that makes it possible for him to bring God to me. That's what he did by coming down to this earth and by drawing me to God. And when I receive him, then I become a part of him and I belong to him. Now, the literal there is, you are Christ's. You are Christ. In other words, you're possessed by Christ. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, just to make sure we understand we are possessed by Christ. We are His. He belongs to God. We belong to Christ. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. Actually, 19 and 20. He says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God and that you are not your own. You're not your own. That's very important. Verse 20. For you have been bought with a price. <laughs> bought and paid for. Therefore glorify God in your body. And what was the price he paid so that we might belong to him? Look over in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Just as clear as a bell. You see, grace to us is, is, is free, but to God it's very expensive. And here's the price that was paid for you and me so that we might belong 
to Christ. He belongs to God. That's what makes it all possible. He is God. God coming to this earth to become man for us and to go to the cross and pay our sin debt. In chapter 20 of Acts, in verse 28, he says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. He's talking to the Ephesian elders there on the island of Miletus. He said, among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased, how? With his own blood. Not the blood of bulls and goats. Hebrews says he was sacrificed once. His blood was shed once and it was sufficient. It wasn't just human blood. It wasn't just divine blood. It was divinely human blood that was shed for us upon the cross. And for that reason, we have been purchased lock, stock, and barrel. And when you receive Jesus, you instantly belong to him. He belongs to God. We belong to him. We're attached to him at salvation. We belong to him. Now, many people, now Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians, attaching yourselves to him. Well, we're already attached to him. However, remember, he uses the analogy of baptism and he says, were you baptized in the name of Paul? I think not. And what he's talking about is when you're baptized in the name of somebody, it's a statement of attachment. I'm attaching myself to. You see, when we're saved, God attaches us to him. But when we're baptized, we make a public statement, a choice. We're attaching ourselves to him now. We're living that way. And that's why Paul says, what are you doing? Attaching yourself to me, see? So when you're saved, God attaches us to himself. He is in us. Look in chapter 6 again in verse 19. We just looked at it but of, of 1 Corinthians one more time. He is in us. Now make sure you understand this, how much this is all a part of the, his possession. He is in us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? But not only is he in us, and there's many other scriptures we could have turned to, as you well know, but secondly, we are in him. <laughs> he is in us, but we are in him. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, just to make sure you understand this. Why do we belong to God? He paid, purchased us with his own blood. And when you receive him, he, be, he comes to live in you in the person of his spirit, but he also baptizes us into his body. We are in him. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, he says, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. So we were baptized into one body. Look over in chapter 12 and verse 27, same chapter, verse 27. And it's important. Verse 27 of chapter 12, 1 Corinthians. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Paul has the same exact idea in Ephesians. Look over in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and verse 23. It's just good to mark these things. But there are many other scriptures. Oh, there's so many more that I'm not sharing with you tonight. But just to get across the understanding why it is we belong to God. We know he belongs, that Christ belongs to God. He is God. And that made it possible for me to belong to Christ. It's a beautiful picture here. Ephesians 1, verse 22. He says, And he put all things in subjection under his feet, Christ, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his what? Body. And we're members of that body, just like my arms are attached to my body and my legs are attached to my body and my feet are attached to my body. He attaches us to him. We, he is in us, but we are in him. We are part of his body. We're called, that's what the church is called on earth. One more. Look in Romans 12 and verse 5. Romans 12 and verse 5. Right before he begins to show the diversity of gifts there in the body, look what he says. Romans 12 
and verse 5. He says in verse 5, So we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. You know, I wish I had some with it with me right now. I didn't think about it at the right time. But if I had a big bowl, clear bowl right now, and I filled it with dye, and I took a white cloth, and I took that cloth and immersed it into the dye, what immediately happens? The dye is immersed into the cloth. So the cloth is in the dye, but the dye is in the cloth. You see, that's the whole picture here. And so now that the cloth has been baptized into the dye, submerged into the dye, it has taken upon itself the properties of the dye, and now the dye and the cloth belong to one another. You can't separate them, especially if it's the right kind of dye. <laughs> you can't separate them. And it's a, in a way to try to give you an understanding that's how we belong to him, purchased by his own blood. And when we receive him, we're baptized into his body with or by the means of the Holy Spirit of God. But also, his spirit comes to live in us. And so therefore, we belong to him. He's in us, we are in him. Now, that, there are critical points to understand why all things can belong to us. You've got to know that. You've got, got to understand Christ's relationship to the Godhead. He is God, the second person of the Godhead. He belongs to the Godhead. You can't take him apart from the Godhead. You don't have a Godhead. But as Christ belonged to God, he is God. That made it possible for him to bring God to us. He came down to man. He went to the cross, paid our sin debt. Now he draws us to God. He's the one who, who brings us to God. So we belong to Christ. And some people think that you can separate that. Well, a friend, in the phrase as I understand it, you can no more separate a, a believer from Christ as you could Christ from the Godhead. Because the same terminology is used there. Just as much as he belongs to God, we belong to him. And by the way, sometimes you ought to take a red pencil or something, and every time we hit a verse like this, mark it in your scriptures, and you will find hundreds of verses on the assurance of your eternal security in Jesus Christ. We belong to him. Not by any work that we have done, but by the work that he did for us on the cross, and he now is the foundation in our life. Okay, everything hinges on the fact of Christ being God. Now, the first thing then, we look at why it is that we can, all things can belong to us. But secondly, now that we understand why all things now can belong to us as we'll, as we'll move along here, we also want to see what it is that we have in and because of him. Now, and here, here's Paul's argument. And Paul is saying, what in the world can I offer to you <laughs> when you compare it to the fact that you belong to Christ and all things belong to you? I go back to what I said a while ago. Why do you want a cow? Why don't you want the whole farm? I mean, come on, man. Why are you attaching yourself to a part of it? Why don't you attach yourself to the one who, who attaches him, you to himself and you belong to him? Therefore, all things can belong to you. That's, that's, this is what you're missing when you don't walk by faith. This is what happens in your life. Well, verse 21, he says, for all things belong to you. Now, it would help right now before we go any further to realize what does Christ possess? Because if you see what he possesses, then you can begin to understand why we can possess those things, all right? Look over in Colossians chapter one and verse 16. This is who he is. He is God. And what belongs to him? <laughs> what belongs to him? <clears throat> 
Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 and verse 17, they tell us two different things about him. First of all, he's the creator of all things. In verse 16, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Boy, that'd be a great verse to put on your refrigerator when you read the newspaper or hear the news. <laughs> what belongs to Christ? And he says, all things have been created by him and what? For him. Now, Christ is the creator of all things. But hey, wait a minute, it doesn't stop there. Not only is he the creator of all things, therefore he obviously is the possessor of all things, but not only that, he's the sustainer of all things. Look in verse 17. <laughs> why is this world still hanging together? I, I hear people all the time say, I can't understand why, why this world even hangs on. I can tell you why, because all things consist in him. That's why. The moment he turns loose of it, friend, you will know that. <laughs> and there's going to be a day that he's still in control, but it's going to be very difficult here. Verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, let's, hmm, let's see. All things were created by him, for him. He sustains all things. Hmm. That means he possesses all things. That means, let's see, uh, he controls all things. Hmm. I think I'm going to make me a deduction. <laughs> I think I'm going to put this together here. Since all things belong to him and were created by him, and are sustained by him, and I belong to him, now I can see why all things belong to me in him. That's the key, in him. In other words, in him, now I become an heir to all that he has. You see, we're joint heirs, and joint heirs is different than a co-heir. There's eight children in Diana's family, and if they were to get an inheritance... A co-heir means that you would have one-eighth of that inheritance. And so what little that would be in, in whoever's family we could be talking about. However, a joint heir means that you don't get one-eighth. Wouldn't it be terrible if we were joint, a co-heirs with Christ? <laughs> and we're 300, say there's 30 million Christians on the earth. I don't know if there's that many or not, but let's just say there are. And so a person gets saved and says, well, I'm really excited. I got one thirty millionth of him. Of course, that to me would be enough for you to shout all the way through glory. But that's not the point. A joint heir shares in all that he has. <laughs> so all things can belong to me. How? In him. Because he belongs to God and I belong to him. And he created it all and sustains it all. So if it all belongs to him, then in him, and I'm a joint heir, it all belongs to me. Now why in the world would you want to attach yourself to me? Are you kidding me? So let's go to the source. The one who is God. The one who possesses all things. The sovereignty over all things, when we go back to Genesis chapter 1, was given to man when he was created. On this earth, he was given to man. Go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. I'm wondering sometime if we've ever studied this, or you've ever studied this, and you've come to understand what was given to man in creation. I'm not so sure sometimes we realize the significance of it. In Genesis chapter 1, in verse 26, and let's just look and see what God says about creating man. Genesis 1, verse 26, there was a council on the Godhead and decision to make man. It says, then God said, verse 26, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, is that dominion or what? Expression of his character, an exhibit of his power? And maybe you don't realize that man lost every bit of that when he sinned. 
Every bit of that when he sinned. But it's reclaimed, not in us, but in the God-man. And the only way you could ever say all things belong to you is when you say, I belong to God. And it's in him that these things begin to work themselves out. You see, it, didn't, it wasn't given back to man, it was given back to the God-man. And when you're saved, you're taken out of Adam, and he lost it all, and put into Christ who has it all. And because he owns it, now we, all things belong to us. It is in Christ, the God-man, that it is restored. Well, the phrase, all things are yours, actually is all things is yours. Now, he says, that's terrible grammar, Wayne. You can't do that. That can't be the phrase. But in the Greek, as I understand it, when the subject is in the neuter, plural, the singular can be used with it. Now, this adds to the thought tremendously. All things is, are ours, but is in the sense of, stop thinking of this, this, and this, and think of the whole altogether. The whole is ours, every bit. But I want to tell you something. If you're listening, this will boggle your mind. You'll lay up in bed tonight and say, good night of living. What am I doing not attaching myself to Christ? Because you're looking at the whole of it all. It belongs to you and I. That includes everything, everything that we have in our Christian walk. Now, all that belongs to Christ now belongs to us in Him. Now, before we take off on a treasure hunt, to see what belongs to us. That's what people are doing these days. They're trying to find out what belongs to us. Let's stick to the context. If Paul would have wanted us to know every single thing that is ours in Christ, that would have been the next two million verses. But he doesn't do that. He gives a list, and I'll tell you what, goes right to the heart and stays right within his context of what he's writing to 1 Corinthians. He gives us a list of the essentials that belong to us. These are the essential things that belong to us in Christ, only in him. He is, he's in the context, remember, of people attaching themselves to men. And look at the first thing he addresses in verse 22. As he starts to list, and he gives us all the context we need, because when you get through this list, there is nothing else that you even want to belong to you, if you'll understand it. First of all, he says, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you. Look at that first phrase, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. Now, that ought to ring a bell. Man, he has mentioned that from chapter 1, verse 12, all the way down to where we are. And that was their problem, attaching themselves to men. He said, now listen to me, listen to me. What is he saying? All the teachers and the preachers, the gifted men in the body of Christ belong to you. Not just one. Don't run over to Paul and hook yourself to him. Don't run over to Apollos. But all of them that teach the word very faithfully, they have been given to the body. You know, Ephesians 4 says the same thing, that they're given, they're gifts. Now, I know you think I'm the booby prize, but still, they're gifts to the body of Christ. And these were given so that we might learn the word more. We might be encouraged to be in the word. We might understand the word better. But don't ever attach yourself to one of them. Because if you do, he's off somewhere. And if you don't know where that is, you've just bought the cow instead of buying the, um, taking the farm. That's what you've just done. And so many people are this way. That's his whole argument. Ah, I'm of John MacArthur. I know some people like that. I and mean, we call them MacArthur Knights. Ah, Brother Wayne, I'm of Bill Gothard. Well, good for you. Ah, I'm of Chuck Swindoll. Well, man, do you realize what you've just done? You've just chosen one little tiny aspect of the teachers that God has given to the body because all of them are yours. 
And listen, they are the ones who help you and come alongside you and, 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 and get you into the Word of God and help you to clarify that Word. The Holy Spirit is always your teacher, but God has given these as gifts to the body. They all belong to you. Now, I was thinking about this when I was studying. Um, how many gifts have been given to this church? Have you thought about that? You realize who's in? When I go into a bookstore, it's, it's, it's embarrassing. It's, hum, it's humbling. I look over and I see a IISB, <laughs> edited by K. Arthur. I say, uh, I don't know who that is. They go to my church. I want to tell everybody in the family. They go to my church. I don't know who they are. Then I look over and I see a Hebrew Greek key study Bible, Dr. Spiros Zuliades. And about six zillion books that he's written, you know, all down the shelf. I know him. I know him. He's, he, he's in my church. And then I look over and I find a Dory, two of the Dory books, Dory Van Stone. Hey, I know Dory. She's, she's in my church. And then I look over and see books by Jan Silvius. And I'm thinking to myself, good night. Look what God has put right in this congregation right here. And the one that hadn't written them, Bob Westcott. You just go around. Simeon. I mean, we've got people in here that understand. They've forgotten more than I'll ever know. And, and instead of, wouldn't it be awful if you wouldn't even come to church unless Wayne was in the pulpit? Surely that doesn't happen when I'm gone, does it? Well, what's wrong? Well, because we're of you, we're of you, Brother Wayne. We just love you. We love your preaching. We just love the way you do it. Well, shame on you. That's fine, but as long as you don't attach yourself to me. If you love the Word, don't you ever worry. We'll have somebody in here who'll teach the Word. That's what it's all about. But you see, God has given. And you think of the, of the body of Christ in the 20th century. This is back now in the days of Corinth. You think what they had been given to them. You think what we have now. And yet we still have the same thing. People with little pacifiers in their mouth running around. I'm of him, I'm of him, I'm of him. I don't like you because you're not of him. And I, I, Folks, you're missing the whole point. All of them are yours. They all belong to you. They're vessels through which God can use. Now, he goes on. He says, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. Then he says, or the world. Whoa. Boy, if you didn't understand what he's talking about here, somebody could jump up and say, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. Name it, claim it. I've got all the world. The whole world belongs to me. I'm gonna, and sometimes I wish their doctrine worked. I'd like to walk outside and say, God, I love my suburban. I need three of them. I'm going to name it and I'm going to claim it. I wish I could do that and it worked. Wouldn't that be great? Hey, man. Boop, bop. You know, just enjoy yourself. What does he mean by this? Now, you've got to be very careful when it comes to it. The world here does not mean the physical world. The physical world is under the dominion of whom? Satan. And it's a temporary dominion. Why? Because of man's sin. He can't mean the temporary world. Matter of fact, if you'll think about it for a second, it was not the Lord Jesus that tempted anybody with the kingdoms of the world, was it? It was Satan who tempted the Lord Jesus with the kingdoms of the world. He owns them. It's his. That's his domain. Why in the world would God say that belongs to you? That's not what he's talking about. There are many Christians in this world that don't have anything. I, I feel so rich. I'll, you know, people give me a lot of stuff and, and people, you don't maybe know that. And, and I feel a little embarrassed sometimes trying to tell you that. I don't run out and get it. Most of what I have is exceedingly abundantly beyond, beyond what I've even asked God for. So I, I, sometimes I feel embarrassed because of what we have in America. And go overseas with us sometimes. Just help yourself. Come on, go with us. And those bush pastors in Africa that we bring in, they come in, don't even have shoes to wear. But all things belong to them. Paul, Apollos, Cephas, the world. Now, how are they supposed to understand that? Well, hang on. What we have that the unbeliever does not have is an understanding of the guiding hand of God in this world. 
hang on, because if this doesn't bless you, just get saved and I'll be able to help you. The unbeliever, now listen to me, the unbeliever who has all the world's things sees himself as a victim. You watch it in every election. They're victims, and they always have to make their stand of why, why is the world treating me this way? But the believer is not a victim. The believer is a possessor of understanding of who it is that's in control of this world. He understands what makes this world tick. He understands there's an unseen hand that's in control of it. So when he votes in the election in America where we're free to vote and his candidate does not get put into office, he doesn't go run and bury his head and say, oh no, he knows that God raises up kings. God establishes kingdom and God takes them down. And whatever's going on, even though we do have the right to devote our conscience, whatever happens, God is sovereignly in control of that. That's the believer. The world's his. He knows what's going on. The unbeliever does not. Christ teaches that he is in total control of all that is going on. Now, the believer possesses the world in this way. He sees the world not as a play of blind power, but as a carefully oiled machine designed by love and God's wisdom and totally under the control of what God is doing. His circumstances do not work against him, but for him. World ownership is a matter of spiritual capacity, folks. Now listen to me. If we're willing to bow down before him as we saw last time and become foolish so that we might become wise, we start to become possessors of what's around us. But we possess it through understanding. We possess it through appreciation. We possess it by the fact of what God has revealed in our hearts. An illustration here, and Pat would, would know, but just some beautiful organs in the world. I know one is over at Calvary Church over in Charlotte, North Carolina. If anybody ever been in that church, that's the biggest place I've ever seen in my life. I preached over there three Sunday nights back in May. When I walked in there, it took me 10 minutes to get over the building. 5,700 seats at least, and that was comfortable. I don't know what it would seat if it was a crowd in there. And the organ, my goodness, it covered, choir, I mean, you fall out. It covered from over here, way over to here, and the whole front. It was just the, just the organ. That's all it was. I mean, they turned that thing down to the lowest they could get and blow my hearing aid out of my left ear. I mean, it was unbelievable. That was a, a huge, huge church. Now, you think about that organ. Who really owns that organ? Who owns it? Well, Brother Wayne, I would say it's the one who paid for it. Is that right? You really think so? Somebody else would say, I think it's the one who can play it. They own it. The one who appreciates its music, owns that organ. It's through that capacity of understanding and appreciation that God gives us that which we own something. Let me read a quote by a fellow. His name is Frederick Shannon. I want you to see this. He says, God leases the universe to all who can pay for it in the invisible coin of appreciation. Deity hangs a sign in the window of every star on the breast of every sea, on the summit of every hill, on the leaf of every tree, on the face of every flower, on the peaks of history, on the souls of immortal men and women. And that sign reads, to rent. The only rental fee is the capacity to enjoy. Now I'll tell you something. We have cows behind my house. <laughs> and you ought to come home with me. I talk to them all the time. I love a cow. I think the cow is the funniest creature God ever created, the, the look on its face. 
And they're out there just eating. They're always eating. You ever notice that? They're always eating. Well, sometimes they're laying down. My daddy used to tell me when they're laying down, the fish aren't biting. I didn't know if that was true or not, but that's what he used to tell me. And I, I go home sometime. This thing's about to fall off my belt here. I go home sometime, and they're all out in that field, and they've got their, their back ends towards me. And I park the car, and nobody's around. <laughs> and I walk out there, and I'll say, you got to know how to do that. I mean, it's, that's practice, folks. I didn't just do that tonight. I mean, I, you got to practice. You got to listen to them for a while to be able to get them. You got to bring it up. And every cow in that pasture looks up. <laughs> and they'll turn around and look at me and I'll say, okay, guys, I've got a few things I want to talk to you about. And I'll be out in the backyard talking to the cow. Now, I don't have to pay for them. I don't have to feed them. I own them. <laughs> and all I got to do is come out there and give them their call and they'll come right to me. It's amazing. I get to enjoy those cows and I don't have to fool with any of it. I mean, that's, that's a beautiful thing. That's in the sense of how we own this world. God gives us an appreciation for it, an understanding of what's going on, how circumstances work and, and that he's in charge of all those things. But then Paul goes on and he says, or life or death. The word for life here is the word zoe. I think I said it right. Is that right, Tasso? Zoe. When I was over in Greece that time, I said, zoe. <laughs> they all laughed. But that wasn't funny to me because I forgot. Why, would, why wouldn't they be Greeks in Greece? I forgot that they were Greeks. Anyway, zoe. <laughs> now, the word zoe <laughs> means really in the spiritual sense here, the quality and essence of life. That's what it means. It never talks about the length of life. Life has been given to us, the quality of life. That's what he's saying. Jesus lived on this earth 33 years. That's all the time that, that he had upon this earth. But look what was written of him. John 21, verse 25. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books which were written. That much went on in his life in 33 years. That's what he's talking about. If God takes me out of here tomorrow, Dinah told me the other day, she said, you've lived about 25 lives. I mean, all the things that's going on in your life. And I thought, I thought about that as I was studying this. That's what he's saying. When Christ is your life, you have the quality and the essence of what he gives to you. It's been given to you. If you will attach yourself to him, walk by faith, you can understand that. And you won't worry about when you die because you'll just take a day at a time. And Christ will overwhelm you with the joy in those days. To, to truly possess life, you've got to be a possessor of the giver of that life. And of course, verse after verse after verse, Philippians 1.21, you know, philosophers argue about life and death all their life. Paul summed it up in one sentence. For to me, to live is Christ, Zoe. And to die is what? Gain. <laughs> and the philosophers say, golly, we've been, having, we've, we've been teaching classes on that for 25 years, and you said it in one sentence. Well, that's right, because only believers have an understanding of this. We know that life belongs to us. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but what? Christ liveth in me. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus. Eternal life doesn't start when I die. It starts the moment. It's already going on. Matter of fact, eternal is eternal. He just grasps me into it and I become a part of eternal life. Romans 5.10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved 
by his life. You ever read Ian Thomas's book, The Saving Life of Christ? <laughs> you see, we are possessor of his life, therefore life is ours. It's a possession that we have. We possess life in its fullest quality when we live possessed by Christ. Death, death. Paul said it, it, it is if, as we read it a moment ago, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The believer knows that death is just from here to there. As I understand it, when Lazarus wept, or Jesus wept at Lazarus' death, it really means he shed a single tear. Physical death never bothered him. What bothered him was spiritual death when he wept over Jerusalem. Now that's when he wept. We cry over the wrong things, folks. Death has been given to us. It's just a door through which we enter into the presence of Christ. <laughs> that's all it is. But we are scared to death of it. Every one of them. Matter of fact, in funerals now, I've just stopped doing normal funerals and I just got to start walking through what happens when a person dies. Just to help people understand. We fear what we do not understand. And help them to understand that even death belongs to us. You see, I love that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and I don't have time to read all the verses. It's running out. Clock. I got a clock right here. But listen to what it says. I, I got it. I got to read. Help me read. Davis can edit this. I know he'll love me for that. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable, this corruptible, will have put on the incorruptible body, that glorified body, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And I was in the funeral of Bob Vereen's son, and precious Scott, I, if you didn't know him, I did. Precious man, but death just opened that door and that old Bob gave the victory to the Lord Jesus Christ. But I owe Fred Wolf, the pastor of Cottage Hill Baptist Church at that time, he walked up to the pulpit and the first words we heard come out of that pulpit were these words right here. He said, oh death, where's your victory? <laughs> he was talking to it. No answer, no answer. He says, oh death, where's your sting? That's the way he did it, exactly like that, as if he was talking to death. The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death is our possession. Don't ever fear it. It's the doorway through which we simply enter into the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. It never, ever, ever is an end to us. Matter of fact, it's an ushering in of something we have not yet, I have not seen, nor ear heard of what God has for us. Ah, I got more. <laughs> Let's quit. We'll just back up and lose that for review the next time. I love these walking through the verses verse by verse. Why do you want to get the cow when you have the farm? <laughs> In Christ, all things belong to you. Christ is God's. Thank God he is. Thank, he, thank God he's God. <laughs> thank you, Lord, your Lord. <laughs> I'm talking to him and to us. I'm glad he's God, aren't you? Because he is able to bring God to man and become man. And he becomes a sympathetic high priest, by the way, because he understands what we deal with. But then, thank God he brought us to God. He drew us to God. And because he possesses all things, created them, owns them, and sustains them, in him we possess all things. So why in the world would you ever attach yourself to a little piece of what he possesses? Why don't you attach yourself to the possessor? And then in Him, you'll start understanding what's really yours. That's what Paul's saying. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.